Good morning. The, uh, the late Dick Clark, uh, all-time great TV and radio host, he's credited with saying these words, which I very much like. Uh, he said this, he said, music is the soundtrack of our lives. You may have heard that before. It's possible somebody else said it too, but, but he gets the credit most of the time. And probably the reason that I love that quote so much is because I do my best to make sure that a significant portion of my life has a soundtrack, that there is music playing. I would rather have music playing than music not playing. In fact, if I could just speak over some music right now, I'd be happy with that. Just kidding, that'd be distracting. In my office, there's music playing. Um, Gavin started this, this last week, our new children's pastor, and I said, you know, you, you can listen to music if you want to. I realized he was really quiet in his office, and he's been working with John, our, our children's pastor, that, that, that's on his way uh, to move back to Indiana. Um, and they've been working together this week, so I thought maybe that was it. So I said, you're welcome to, to crank some tunes. He's like, yeah, I don't really work with music. That's weird to me. Um, and I know, like, Larry doesn't either, and it, it's cool, but, like, I, if my office is quiet, something must be wrong. Um, and so in my office, in my truck, uh, for a while I had a vehicle that the radio didn't work in. It killed me, like, really was so annoying. I would bring along this little battery-powered speaker so I could still have music in, in my car at the time, and... I listen to music while I'm mowing the grass. If I'm doing something around the house, doing some dishes or something, there's folding laundry, there's, there's music playing. Every once in a while, Stacy will come in the kitchen. There's all sorts of stuff going on. The kids are being loud. You know, maybe there's food on the stove or water running. And I've got music playing, and she just, how can you add more noise to the noise? And, and she loves music just as much as I do. But, but in that situation, to me, adding music isn't really more noise as much as it is actually a calming influence in the chaos. It cuts through the noise for me. And so the idea that music is the soundtrack of our lives, is appealing to me. I like that idea. I think one of the reasons I enjoy the, the bumper videos, which is what we call these videos we play for 30 seconds before we start the message, um, kind of transitioning our time. One of the reasons I enjoy those is because they almost always include music. It kind of reminds me of when I was a kid playing baseball. I always longed for the days when I could play professional baseball and have my own walk-up music. You know, like you're coming up to bat, they play that song, and you get to pick it. And uh, somebody asked me after first service what my walk-up song would be, and I, I really, I have no idea. I've given it a lot of thought, and I, I'm just afraid of picking the wrong song. So it, it's got to get you pumped up and all those kinds of things. And, and so even in this moment, you know, that, that little transition, it allows me a moment to reflect and pray before I share God's Word, and I like that. Um, and so I think you can see why I like the idea that music is the soundtrack of our lives. But as we begin a new series today, in fact, called Soundtrack, what we want to do in this series is flip that idea on its head, turn it upside down, if you will, because even if it's true that music is the soundtrack of our lives, our lives also produce a soundtrack. Our lives, the, the way that we live, the things that we do, the words that we say, how we act, how we love, how we don't love, how we treat people, all of these things work together to produce noise, to produce a melody, and much like a soundtrack, produce an atmosphere around us. We give off a soundtrack as individuals, and we do so as a family of believers as well. And so, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, there is a question we absolutely must ask ourselves, and that's this, does the sound of my life point people to God? The way that I live, the way that I act, the words that I say, the things that I do, the way that I treat people, does the sound of my life, does the song that my life produces, does the soundtrack point people to God? Unfortunately, all too often, believers are known as harsh and judgmental because a lot of us are 
at least some of the time, that communicates a different song than love does. And so during this series, what I want us to try to do is to figure out what Scripture teaches us about how we can live in such a way that shows people the love of God, while at the same time displaying to them the truth of God. Love and truth should be the soundtrack that our lives produce. And so today, we're going to start with the idea of love. And we'll start our discussion on love with Jesus' own words in John chapter 13, um, beginning in verse 34. The scriptures will be on the screen. They're also in the insert in your bulletin. Um, Feel free to follow along with these. Here's what Jesus said. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, what's interesting about the way that Jesus phrases this is that word new, because this isn't really a new command necessarily. If we look all the way back at the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, we find this in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It sounds similar, so what's new about it? Well, for the disciples who were hearing what Jesus said there, uh, they were present when he gave this command. It, It was new to them because it was a new standard based on his great love for them. So he's saying, listen, you've heard this before, but based on what I've done for you and what I'm going to do for you, this is the standard. This is a new command. Love one another. In saying what he said, Jesus was essentially saying, follow my example and love others as I have loved you. This kind of love, this example of love, Jesus was saying, should become the mark that you are identified by, the thing that sets you apart in this world. If you love as I have loved, truly love as I have loved, my place in your life will be undeniable. Which sounds good. It sounds like, okay, if I can love people, then people will understand that, that, that I am a follower of Jesus. That's, that's good. We can handle that. It sounds easy enough until you begin to think clearly about what it would really mean, what it would really look like in our lives if we actually loved others the way that Jesus wanted us to and the way that Jesus loves us. Because Jesus died for us. I mean, that was the ultimate expression of God's great love for us when he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins and everyone's sins. He did that for us because he loved us. And I'm supposed to love other people like that. You're supposed to love other people like that. And not just the people who are easy to love or the people who we already like, but all the people. All of the people. It's kind of like this thing I used to do at Burger King. And when you were a kid, you probably did this, or if you have kids, they've, they've gone through this phase. Mine are starting to. Um, the Burger King in my town had the, the multiple choice uh, soda fountain. And so if you're really cool, you mix them all, right? Like you go down the line and you've got to, and it, listen, there is a skill involved in this because if you get too much of the first one, by the time you get to the last one, you're out of space in the cup and then you have failed completely. And so you, you run down the line and, uh, and you get everything in the one cup and it tastes disgusting, but every once in a while you have to go, mmm, because your parents told you it wasn't going to be good, so you have to at least pretend that you liked it, right? Yeah. But I would always skip one. One very specific drink from the, from the soda fountain there, I would skip the Diet Coke because not a, not a diet, I don't drink diet, I'm not a fan of diet, especially when a kid I wasn't, and it would have blown the whole thing for me because I would have tasted it. It's the same idea I have, I don't, I don't like tea, 
And I know people think that that's crazy. And people, will, they'll make like a special kind of tea. You know, like, oh, I got this peach tea. It's so good. You got to try it. You won't even be able to taste, taste the tea. No, the tea's what I don't like. So yes, I will be able to taste the tea. <laughs> and that was, that was why I would skip the Diet Coke. And so I'd get my drink, but I would skip the Diet Coke. My kids do this now, but they do it with the Coke Freestyle machines, which just makes the possibilities endless. It's just gross. Jackson thinks root beer and lemonade is like the best combination in the world. I'm like, ooh, no. And I remember being a kid and, and, and being out with some other kids, and, you know, kids are cruel. They gave me a really hard time because I skipped the Diet Coke. It's like, you, you aren't really doing it right because you didn't get the Diet Coke, and they were, like, peer pressuring me into adding the Diet Coke because I was willing to mix my drink like everybody else, but I wasn't willing to include the Diet Coke. So I made a mixture, but not a true use-everything kind of mixture. And the truth is, a lot of us are the same way when it comes to loving other people. There is a certain person or certain people that we just skip or we avoid when it comes to this idea of loving one another because they're hard to love or they're hard to put up with or they annoy us in some way or they've previously hurt us in some way or they don't show much in the way of love, so why should we reciprocate? There's really countless ways we justify this skipping of a person when it comes to loving one another, but in that we love one another but we don't truly love one another, not in a true love everybody sort of way, and we come up short of what we were called to do. And we might even have good intentions, like, yes, I want to love other people, and I'm going to be intentional about it, but there is a limit to the people that I can do that for, and there's a limit to how far I'll go, and what I'll do for someone to express that. And then again, we look at Jesus, and we say, well, there was actually no limit to who or what when it came to what Jesus did for us. So who am I to self-impose some spoken or unspoken limit on my own ability to love other people? And yet we do impose that limit. We have limits. You know, easy to love people, no problem. Less easy people to love, we can do that. Difficult people, we can even do that. It's tough, but we'll tough it out. But everybody has people in their lives who require extra grace. And a lot of us would just settle on, well, I loved most of the people in my life pretty well. Even some that were difficult, that should count for something. And we say, I did my best. And, and it, it does count for something. It does. But it's still not loving like Jesus loved us. How are we supposed to do that? Well, maybe we can glean something from another passage of Scripture. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. We're going to break this verse down a little bit. Here's what it starts with. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So this is not a new idea. We've got that. This has always been the message. This has always been the command. That means it's probably also always been difficult to carry it out. It's not a new problem that we struggle with this. Now that, that realization that this is difficult can either drive us to try harder or inspire us to give up and believe it's impossible. Verse 12, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. And so from the beginning, this was difficult even for brothers. And I don't know what your family life is like, but it's possible that you can relate somewhere close to this level, that something has happened within the confines of your family that maybe didn't result in someone killing someone, but it was pretty serious stuff. And it's created a divide in your family, a divide that love doesn't cross very often. 
In truth, we're, we're a family as well, a family of believers in Jesus Christ. And I can tell you as siblings in the family of God, I know we don't always all get along. Verse 13, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, this is where things get complicated for us because as the family of God, it's important that we understand that people who are not yet a part of the family of God may not understand us, who we are or what we do. But if we want them to understand who we are and what we do, and even more importantly, understand why we are who we are and why we do what we do and who it's because of God, then we have to love each other and those people the same way that Jesus loves them, and the same way that Jesus loves us. See, sometimes we take loving one another within the family of God for granted. And we skip ahead and we say, how can we go love the world? How can we love those who are far from God? And that's important. But if we skip over and just assume we already got to love one another thing down, we're probably wrong. See, what we need to do is examine if our relationship with one another within the body of Christ, the church, is a point in our favor when it comes to convincing someone that God loves them or whether that person who doesn't know yet that God loves them is going to have to reconcile our statement that God loves them with the not-so-loving way that you and I sometimes treat one another. And I would say at least some of the time for pretty much all of us, we'd rather people just take our word for it because if they were to compare what we say about how God loves them with how we love one another, even within the family of God, it would do more damage than good to our witness for God in that situation. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That is so, so key because a world that doesn't know God loves them often only hears our words or speech. They don't see those same words and speech put into action and truth. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Here's the thing. I would die for my wife, no question. I would die for my kids, no question. But beyond that, it's a struggle for me to designate who I'd be willing to die for. And yet, that's the kind of love we are called to have for one another. To give up, to sacrifice whatever it takes, even unto death, for the benefit of another person. If we loved one another with that kind of love, I don't think the world, those who are far from God, I don't think they would have nearly as many doubts about the God we're trying to introduce them to if we actually carried this out. Verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. 
because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Don't miss this. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. When you boil down a scripture like this to the basic things that God asks of us, it is not really that big of a list because so much of it can be summed up. Believe in Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. But here's the thing. I really think that most people who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior don't have nearly as much of an issue swallowing the idea of God as we think that they do. I don't think it's such a struggle for them to believe that there might be a higher power, believe that there might be something beyond this life. That's pretty believable, even probably somewhat desirable even to a lost world. Because this world stinks pretty bad sometimes, and the idea that there's more, the idea that there might be something else should be appealing. It should be. And even if you don't know what that more is, it's comforting. And and I get it, there are absolutely people who struggle with the existence of God, or reconciling science and faith, or struggle with the Old Testament, or even with the institution of the church. I get that. But I imagine just as many, if not more people, who have never accepted Jesus as their Savior or have and then walked away, did so at least in part because of something that God's people did to them or something God's people did to one another. I've seen it. I've probably been guilty of it. And I'll tell you what, it's hard to defend. But we don't always love one another very well. In the Gulf War, there were 615 known battle casualties, according to to statistics that I pulled here. And believe it or not, 35 U.S. soldiers and Marines were killed and 72 wounded in 28 incidents of friendly fire. That's 23% of all U.S. casualties in that war were with friendly fire. And hear me clearly, all casualties of war are saddening, but those caused by friendly fire, accidental engagement of allies or friends, those grieve us even more deeply because they, they seem like such a waste of precious life. They seem so preventable and unnecessary. And I know there's a lot to it, and there's a lot of those situations that, that based on what was going on, were, were unavoidable. But it doesn't change the fact that it's so sad. It's so sad. Friendly fire happens in a lot of places. It happens in our families when we cut each other down. And it absolutely happens in churches. And we're supposed to be on the same side, the same team, a part of the same family, and yet we wound each other on a fairly regular basis. Sometimes to the point that someone leaves the church or leaves the faith altogether, turns their back on God. You see, when those outside the church, those who aren't followers of Jesus, see that happening, and listen, you might think they're not watching, but they are. When they see us wounding each other the way that we do, it serves to distance them farther from potential faith in a God they desperately need to know. These are wasteful, neglectful, and most importantly, preventable tragedies. You see, we've got to do better when it comes to loving one another. We have to start there. Because when we wound one another, the song that our life is singing, the song that we as a church are singing, our soundtrack, is not love will keep us together. And you're welcome. You're going to have that stuck in your head the rest of the day. 
It's not love will keep us together. Instead, it's another one bites the dust. And if you know those songs, think for a second. Which one would be the better song for us as the family of God to be singing to the world? That love will keep us together? That love is core to who we are? That love is what allows us to do what we do in the name of God? Or we just killed off another one of our own? And another one bit the dust? Here's the thing. Sometimes we put the focus on, well, if I just do the right thing, God will be happy with me. And I can go to heaven. And we try to simplify what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. Or we say, well, I just need to strive every day to be a good person and everything else will fall in line. Or the ever dangerous idea of, well, I just need to make sure there's enough good in my life to outweigh the bad. Listen, all of those ideas have legalism in them. That there's some sort of way to live that in fact will get you to heaven or keep you in God's good graces. That there's some sort of checklist, some sort of percentage good you have to be, whatever it is. I don't think it's a coincidence that when Jesus comes on the scene, it's not about the law, it's not about a list of rules, it's not about ways for us as humans to make ourselves right with God through more sacrificing. It's about love, because love covers a multitude of sins, and it is in fact love that is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. In Romans chapter 13, I love this, beginning in verse 8, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If we don't understand, based on so many places in Scripture, that it is so clear that love is the key to all of this, we've seriously missed something. And honestly, the bottom line I get to is this, and I understand that this will sound harsh, harsh, but I mean this. And this goes for me too. If we can't love one another, if we can't figure this out, if we can't love one another as followers of Jesus, we probably shouldn't be representing him. And yet when you choose to follow Jesus, you wear his name, and it's not a name that can be shed. If you go to church, people see you differently. If you claim to follow Jesus, people watch you more closely. We don't get to pick and choose when people see us in light of our relationship with God and when they don't. We're connected for better or for worse. You can't turn it on and off. And because of that, I believe one of the greatest things that we could do individually and as a community of believers for the cause of Jesus Christ is to figure out how to better love one another. And then to go out and share that same love with those that aren't yet part of the one another, but still need to know that same love. I mean, this is literally over and over what we're commanded to to do, to love one another because God is love and showed his love through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 7 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Which again sounds good. This is a good plan. Let's love people. And yet it's so difficult to do. So is there an answer? Is there a secret? Is there something that can give us what we need to figure this out, to truly love one another? I, I think there's some help a few verses later. Still in, the, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 and following. Verse 16 says this, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And see, right there, that to me is, is the verse here. That's the secret. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We continue. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. But I keep going back to that statement, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We cannot afford to miss that one. And it's something we cannot afford not to do. You see, when we believe and understand what God did for us, when we understand the importance, the magnitude of the sacrifice to the best of our human ability, and can then transfer that belief and understanding over to other people, they become easier to love. What I'm saying is, when we see people in light of what Jesus did for us, and remember that he did those same things for them, they become easier to love. Because it becomes harder for us to come up with reasons not to. It becomes harder for us to make excuses. But they're just so annoying and yet God loves them anyway. But they, but they make my life so difficult. But God sent Jesus to die for them. Not just for me, for them. But they hurt me so deeply. Yeah, but God sent Jesus to take their sins to the cross along with yours. But they're just so hateful. But God loves them exactly how he loves me. You see, it's entirely possible, and I believe this. This is strong, I get it, but, but, but it's entirely possible that there are people in our lives <clears throat> that on our own, we are incapable of loving the way God calls us to love them on our own. I, I believe that. There are people that on our own, we are incapable of loving the way that God calls us to love them. Some of you have a person in mind. As humans, we're limited in our ability to love unconditionally. But we serve a God who does love unconditionally and who is in our corner, who gives us strength and power when we need it, who is strong where we are weak, and who we can rely on when people, even other followers of Jesus, 
are hard to love. You see, I'm afraid that as Christians, as believers, individually and as a body of believers, that our soundtrack might be a lot short of what it should be. That the message we're expressing by the way that we function, by the way that we treat each other, when people see us, hear us, watch us, do life with us, that, that the song that's being played is short of what it should be. I'm afraid for some of us it might be shot through the heart and you're to blame. You give love a bad name. You're going to sing that song the rest of the day too. <laughs> but here's the thing. Do you want your life to tell somebody that, to, to, to be a life that gives love a bad name? Do we as a family of believers want to give love a bad name? That would really be messed up. And yet sometimes, the way that we live, the way that we treat one another, that's the song we're singing. That's the soundtrack. But here's the, here's, here's the beauty of it. You can always change the song. Technology has advanced so far today that if you said, I want to hear a song right now, I could, I could pull it up on the iPad I'm preaching off of right now in about three seconds. We could all dance to it, whatever song it is. That's how quick you can get the song. If a song comes on and you don't like it, you can change it. You can change it. You can switch it. And so if this is the soundtrack, if this is what the world is hearing from us, we can change it. We can change the song. We can pick a different song. We can change the way we treat one another, the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we love, the way that we talk to each other. We can change all that. And we'll realize that we've changed the song. We've changed the soundtrack. There's a song, it's, it's one of my favorites, believe it or not. Um, one of my favorite songs has always been Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Adams. Um, I know it's a cheesy movie soundtrack song from the 90s, and, but it was one of the first songs I really learned fully how to play on the piano. It is still the only, one of the only songs I can play. Um, if Stacy inadvertently leaves her keyboard on, I will wander over, and that is the song that I will play. And it's cheesy, but I love it. It was actually our first dance song in our wedding. And I know that it's a romantic song. I get that. I get that. But I'm going to steal the words for a minute here. Because I want you to imagine if we treated each other, even within the body of Christ, the way that these words read, when it says this, take me as I am, take my life, I would give it all, I would sacrifice. Don't tell me it's not worth trying for. Don't tell me, or you can't tell me it's not worth dying for. You know it's true. Everything I do, I do it for you. That, those are words about sacrifice. Those are words about doing whatever it takes for the benefit of another person, to give up whatever it takes for the benefit of another person. When's the last time we sacrificed for someone else? When's the last time we put ourselves aside for someone else's benefit, for the good of someone else? When's the last time we loved other people that way, even within the body of Christ? For some of us, it's been a while. You see, this isn't something we're called to do. This is a way that we've been called to live. That ongoing, our lives should be characterized by the way that we love one another sacrificially and unconditionally. And it's not easy. But we know and rely on the love of God to help us accomplish something like this. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. It's a challenge. But it says this. It says, 
be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. But in doing all those things, I think it's important we don't skip verse 14. Do everything in love. You see, if we don't love one another as God loved us, how will those who don't know God loves them ever find out? They'll just continue to not know or not believe. And if we tell them about that love, but don't love one another, why would they believe it coming from us? Why would they care? I don't know about you, but I've experienced the love of God, and everyone deserves that opportunity. You and I today, right now, need to focus and refocus on what it looks like for us to truly love one another. Because if we truly love one another, a lost world will have trouble denying God's love. If we don't, His love will be pretty easy to deny. Ultimately, it's up to us. And so what what is our soundtrack? What song are we singing as a family? What song are, are we singing as individuals? What's our soundtrack? Because I believe a lost world is listening. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, for continuing to challenge us. And, and it doesn't matter how many times we read over and over again that you've called us to love, 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 love one another. This is something we still seem to struggle with. So God, if, if we've experienced your love, and I pray that everyone in this room has, Give us the the strength, the wisdom, whatever it is that we need to take that love and give it to others. Help us not to receive the joy that it is to know you and not turn around and give others that same joy. And God, within the family of God, help us not to shoot ourselves in the foot. God, if there's an opportunity today for us to make a sacrifice for somebody else, I pray that we would do so. God, I pray that you would focus our hearts as we move into a time of communion. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.